Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. This is Core Truth, where we discuss the philosophy of core belief therapy created by Rudy Eckhart. I'm your show host, Mark Follett, and today we're going to discuss the topic of trust. How are you, Rudy? I'm very well. Pleasure to be here, and welcome to everyone. Yeah, welcome everybody. Um, The topic today, uh, trust, we're going to just probably explore a few different areas, and we'll just see where we get in, in, in about an hour. Um, we're going to talk about self-trust, uh, the ability to be able to trust yourself, your instincts, your intuitions, and, and to be able to just trust your own decision-making processes, I think. We also talked in our relationship series quite a lot about different topics, and we often touched on the idea that there can be a mistrust of the opposite sex, so we might get into a little bit of discussion on that at some point. Uh, and then also, one thing that really brought up um, prior to us starting the episode was that um, distrust is of course based on fear but also that there's many other fears that can mean that it's very difficult to trust somebody who actually has those fears I don't know if you want to pick up on that point first of all and just explain that that if someone's in fear they can't be trusted in that particular area um, well I'd rather start actually from how these fears originate hmm. and how then trust issues become a problem in our life lives um i think it's a very common issue for people in one way or another whether it's that they don't trust themselves they don't trust other people they don't trust the other sex whatever the specific issue is there's a lot of it trusting their choices and decisions trusting initiating new actions and choices um trusting themselves uh in a relationship trusting their masculinity or their femininity so trust is pretty well part of everything trust is that part of you that can give you confidence and in the absence of trust makes you insecure. You see people are highly stressed as well when they have to make decisions and choices but they don't trust them and then they have to constantly concern themselves whether they've made the right choice and second guess themselves and there's a lot of stress and energy put into this mistrust. Um, Yeah, trust, trust is attached to so many things like even being a perfectionist. Even if you can do things... um, probably better than most people because you put so much effort in to do the last three and a half percent, so to speak, um, then you don't trust it will ever be enough. And so you're still stressed, even though you probably outperform and over um, over um, contribute uh, because you, you're so fearful of the fact that you cannot trust yourself to deliver the level of perfection that you presume and believe is required in order for you to be acceptable. Is that some sort of form of obsessive compulsive type behavior where you have to keep rechecking something because you're not, you can't really trust yourself that... That is the core issue for uh, obsessive individuals mm-hmm. is the, the fact that I don't trust our own perception and our own awareness 
uh, in that they do something and um, say they put a letter in an envelope and they're about to mail it and then they doubt themselves having put a letter in the envelope. So they need to open the envelope again to check whether it's in there and they may do this any number of times before they actually mail the envelope and even when they do, in the moment they're mailing it, they're still in doubt. Hmm. And so that is trusting your perception and awareness, trusting that when you've done something and you have um, seen yourself do it, you've felt yourself do it, and you're aware of yourself doing it, that you can still not trust yourself having done it. Mm. And that is really, really difficult way to live. It's really problematic and obsessive compulsive people who have this extent or this kind of obsession um, are really troubled and it's really difficult for them to get through their day because they check whether the door is locked 15 times. They, they need to see whether a door is closed. They need to see whether a bed has been made up. They, they just continually do not trust themselves. And now the question is, of course, how do you get to be that way? Mm. So that's an extreme form, but we all have, well, many people have milder forms of this in different ways. And it ultimately comes down to your parents again, and unfortunately, um, because of the fact that they either don't trust themselves and therefore don't trust you and live in a world with particular distrusts. So you can have a, a parent or parents who distrust their opposite sex because they don't trust each other. Um, in fact, their neediness to trust each other can be, in fact, also a way of creating a distrust in a child. When the child is not being trusted, um, then the child starts to believe it cannot trust itself. And if this goes to a particular area of distrust, then that will be the part of the child that will grow uh, into an issue when the child becomes an adult. Um, so that person would then, or that child becomes an adult and then would strive for... 110% in that area, over perfection almost, or perfection, um, in order to overcome that mistrust that they have. If it they, is, if, they yeah, yeah. Properly. yeah. If it is about perfection, of course, but it could be as simple as decision making. Mm. When the parent doesn't trust a child to make its own decisions, mm. uh, and of course, a parent will say, yeah, well, it's too young, <laughs> uh, the child's obviously never going to learn to trust itself to make its own decisions unless it's allowed to fail, unless it's allowed to make mistakes, unless it's allowed to learn from the decisions that it's making and that it begins to realize that it can always re-decide, make new decisions in other words, in order to overcome a failed last decision, right? And then eventually learns to make decisions that are productive um, through experience and through knowledge and through awareness and through insight. But most of all, it needs to learn how to make decisions confidently. To, to be able to trust decisions that it's yeah. made, yeah. Even if they don't turn out well, because then the next decision will be made in order to correct that decision. Well, you gain an understanding that a wrong a, a decision that led down a path that didn't get you the outcome you wanted is a learning experience. And it should be. It's, it's still trustworthy. The decision you made still got you an outcome. It got you to learn how to not do something, so then you could learn how to 
choose a different path in the next time. But a child that totally doesn't trust its own decision-making process and choices will, whenever it makes a decision that doesn't turn out well, stop wanting to be involved in that area. And so uh, instead of learning, it's constantly giving up Mm. and wanting to do something else. And in fact, can turn out to be a child that avoids work or responsibility or engaging in things or... Uh, trying some new sport or a hobby or uh, workplace or work responsibility for fear that it will fail. So it it kind of puts itself on the bottom of the ladder in most situations whereby it will only um, do tasks and take responsibilities that it's highly unlikely to fail in or it will actually try and find a way to transfer that responsibility to everybody else. So then failure is not its responsibility. Mm. So that's, that's an interesting point, because I think that brings us on to one of the other topics we were talking about, where, um, where we talked about, uh, or we're going to talk about in the episode, that distrust is often based on fear, but also there is an element of, of external blame, I guess, or that if you don't trust yourself, then other people can't be trusted either because you can't trust yourself to trust them. Is that is that kind of true in a way? Um, that if you are able to trust your own perceptions, you're not able to trust yourself, then you'll never be able to trust anybody else because you won't trust your own perception of them, of what they're saying and all those sorts of things. Yeah, well, usually once people are heavily, low, heavily into distrust, which, as I said, often comes from the parents and their insecurity, then a whole number of things are distrusted based on the fact that they can't trust themselves. Mm. Um, Often there are unrealistic expectations um, in that we expect people to be something we cannot be ourselves. So if you ultimately, like, let me keep it really simple, I think, so, so you understand the concept. Let's imagine that you don't trust anything at all, right, for a moment. Then that means that going across a bridge, sitting in a chair, just walking into a room, opening a door, putting food in your mouth becomes a major event. Because if before you sit in the chair, you would have to chair the strike, check the chair where they can hold your weight, where you could actually safely sit in it without collapsing. Mm. Before you eat food, you'd have to taste it and lick it and with the concern that it might not be compatible with your body and it might, you know, cause you to uh, be sick or something like that. Uh, a bridge you will not want to cross because you don't know whether the bridge will support you, so <laughs> you'd have to get out. and constructed properly. And yeah, 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 because you can't trust it, can you? That's distrust to an extreme, mm-hmm. right? And probably this is not how even distrusting people live their life. But the point I'm trying to make is this, is that we... We trust by being exposed to things that we um, learn to be comfortable with through early experiences in our life. Like, this is one of the reasons why, for instance, we, um, in every culture, we have um, different food choices, let's say. The Indians eat different to the Chinese, eat different to the Japanese, eat different to the Europeans, and even Americans eat different to Europeans. Uh, there's different diets everywhere. There's African, there's Brazilian. And so 
if you grow up in one of these countries, you you are raised into the diet. So you trust the foods. You don't even think about it when you put it in your mouth. It doesn't even occur to you. Mm. But the moment you go from Brazil to China, right, and you have to eat their food because there's nothing else available but that food, all of a sudden it becomes a challenge and it becomes a trust challenge. Mm. Can you trust that if you put that food in your mouth that you will not get sick or how will it taste? Will my body cope with that? Mm. And, and so on that simple level, we learn to trust by habit. We learn to trust by sitting in chairs and sitting on things when we're children. And so we trust chairs when we sit in them. In fact, we expect chairs to support us. I would say when you're a baby and you first get in a chair, you probably don't trust it. And then through trial and error, you learn to be able to trust that a chair supports you. There was an interesting test that was done in response to your, to your comment. Um, I think it was in Britain. They, they constructed a room and they put glass plates on top of boxes. So there was a big space. If you were standing on the glass plates, there was a big space between the boxes where you could was transparent, you could fall down. Oh yeah. If the glass wasn't there, you could you would it would look like you could fall. Yeah. Yeah. Then they put um, they painted paths underneath to make it opaque so you couldn't see the floor. So they put babies that could just crawl onto this into this room and watch them crawl over those glass plates. And instinctively they would stay on the path. <laughs> they would stay away from where the glass was transparent. And so there is an instinct in us which is aware of this sort of thing on a physical level. Like a physical safety survival type right. mechanism. But there's something similar, as I, I've iterated this in another podcast, there's a similar quality in us when we talk about emotional survival. So when we talk about a chair, that's physical survival. When we talk about... Uh, making decisions that fail, that is emotional survival. So our reference point for emotional survival with, with which they are we are born is that we expect and anticipate that we are emotionally, like unconditionally lovable, acceptable, wanted and trusted, right? And the word trusted is definitely in there. Trusted and trustworthy, mm. right? And so... The trust part weighs heavily in this um, situation because when we are trusted, then we start to trust ourselves. So if our parents don't emotionally trust us for a whole number of reasons and fears that they may walk around with, we take on their distrust as being an, a distrust in us. And being a distrust in us causes us to distrust ourselves. That we're not trustworthy. That we're A, not trustworthy and therefore cannot trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. If you were to test someone with kinesiology, like we, 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 you do and I do, Mark, because when we work in this modality, is that then it shows up very easily that people don't trust themselves. Mm. And, and so the lack of self-trust um, weighs heavily into the uh, expression of how we are in the world because... If you can't trust your decision-making, then you need to think also, I don't trust my perception, I don't trust my awareness, I don't trust my thinking, I don't trust my reasoning, I don't trust my judgment, I don't trust, trust what I know and what I understand. Those elements 
become part of I don't trust my choices because mm. they sit behind it. And yeah? that, would, that would play out in your work and in your personal life. Every part of your life. And, yep. Every course. part of your life. Yeah. So, so the, the fact that you can't make a choice confidently is not about making the choice. It is what goes on before you make the choice. Of course, your choice is based on something. Mm. It is based on your perception, your awareness, your knowledge, your understanding, past experience, your judgment, your insight. Your, 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 uh, it may also concern a solution, a concept that you've come up with that you now want to put into practice. Mm. If you don't trust any of that, then everything will be wrought with fear. You will be limited by the fear. You will not be confident in your decision and no one will have confidence in your choice because you don't have confidence in yeah, it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting <clears throat> point because if you don't believe that you're trustworthy and you believe your, your choices and decisions uh, and the things that you want to tell somebody else if you don't believe that you're trustworthy and anything that you're saying can be trusted, then other people are never going to be able to believe what you're saying. They're never going to be able to trust you, your decisions. They're not going to be able to, in a work context, they wouldn't be able to say, well, I can always trust that, that person because he makes confident decisions and follows and backs himself when he makes those decisions. It would be the opposite of that, where because, even if you made a decision, you would, in a work situation, then say, I've made a decision, but I'm not really sure. This is how you might be talking to your boss. Say, I've made a decision, but there's some caveats around it, and I'm not really sure that it's yeah. the right decision. And you'd actually kind of make the decision and then back out of it, even in the way you would speak. Even if it was the right decision. Even if it was the right decision. <clears throat> well, even, even if it was a decision that would be totally successful, your lack of confidence in yourself will, as you just said, will try and, um, well, as you're making the decision and making a commitment to that decision, you also want some outs <laughs> that relieve you from the responsibility of the outcome. Mm, mm. And, and by doing so, you're actually creating doubt in other people's minds. Yeah. Your lack of confidence in yourself will cause others to have no confidence in you mm. and will doubt you, which then means that you um, can be excluded in some way in certain areas of work and life um, and um, cause you to be excluded from certain responsible positions for the fact that you won't step up to the mark. But you actually don't want them. The truth is, it's not just that you're being excluded. You actually don't want that responsibility because that would mean making major responsible decisions mm. which have a high impact because of the position of the, the job that you're taking on, right? So, so con consciously, <laughs> you might say, "Oh, I want a management role and I want a pay rise." That's what you kind of think you want, but on, yeah. the, on a fear-based level, you're also that 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 is not a safe place. You wouldn't feel like you would be confident to be yeah. in that role to make decisions for other people, for staff, say that were working under mm -hmm. you, and to actually make confident decisions for the company you're working for. So you're actually working against yourself from your you conscious are. and your fears. You are. Yeah. And the worst part of it is, is that you can actually be highly intelligent. You can be actually be very clear and analytical and capable of coming to really strong conclusions if you only were not doubting of yourself and did not question every part of your thinking and um, the process that would lead to a decision. 
because as you do, you are undermining your own uh, capacities to make correct decisions and to come up with amazing ideas because of your self-doubt. Mm. So, so then you, in actual fact, um, you are self-sabotaging without realizing it and extremely frustrated because uh, you see others making decisions which are probably not as, let's say, as effective as yours would have been. And you see them being accepted and uh, being successful and being maybe uh, advanced in their position uh, while you're missing out. And the, the, the difference between you and them is, is that even though their decisions may not be perfect, they present them with a level of confidence that you can't. Mm. And it makes other people believe in them. Now, that this needs to be put into another context as well, and that has to do with the context of the ego. So we see a lot of people, particularly when they're public figures, politicians, for instance, and people that are bosses of companies, <clears throat> present themselves as all-knowing, all-wise, all-capable, and always right. And um, they, they talk in a way whereby anything they say is not open for discussion, dismissal, or interrogation, or analytic, uh, being analysed and exposed in any way, shape, or form. So uh, people who are insecure, self-doubting, distrusting of themselves, will actually look for someone who will make the decisions for them, who will lead them, who will think for them, choose for them, decide for them, uh, because then they don't have to make the decisions. The problem is, is that while you're at one end of the scale with your indecisiveness, the ego individual wants to prove to everybody that he does know that his decisions are always right, that his knowledge is irrefutable and should never be even questioned or interrogated. And he wants everybody to believe that he won't make any mistakes. Mm. So you, at one end, if I call it you, with your self-doubt, cannot be trusted. I wouldn't trust you. Not, not that I would say you're an untrustworthy person, but because of your fears, I cannot trust you. Uh, but I wouldn't trust the egocentric, all-knowing, all-smart, all-wise, overconfident person either. Anyone that has to say, just trust me, just trust me, I'll be, yeah. <laughs> I'll be the one to follow, you know. That's, uh, that's the kind of person you're talking about. It's probably a con man, um, used car salesman type character as well. Like, yeah. The what? moment somebody says, trust me, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> just, just make a quick assumption that you can't trust him and he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> it's, it's very be relevant. Yes. Because they base their idea that they're trustworthy on the level of following that they get. Mm. So the more people that follow, him, follow them, the more their ego tells them, see, see, they trust you. They trust, see, you're trustworthy because other people trust you. So you're saying someone that, um, <clears throat> that doesn't trust their own decisions and choices then seeks to follow someone who is outwardly making decisions and choices and saying, follow me, I'm going in this direction, trust me, I know where I'm going. Yeah. Um, and that's not just obviously politicians and, and no, voters, it's, it's in, in, in every aspect of life. I and in relationships. And in relationships. And in personal is, relationships. Which is where, where we're going where, next, I think. Yeah. Uh, 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 totally, a person lacking totally in confidence and self-trust will be attracted to someone who is super confident and and appears to be super trustworthy in order to be protected 
and safe from their own distrust, which is fear, of course. Um, and this happens. It is part of the passive and the aggressive concept, right? Where um, a where one person comes out of it, like people come out of families where trust is an issue uh, in many different ways, but you could categorize it in, on two levels. The, the passive ones are the ones that don't trust themselves, they come out of the dead family, and out of the same family come some characters who will emulate the overconfident parent and not the unconfident parent, if you mm. like. Mm. And so they will be the, the ones that are convinced that everything they do is right. Is there is the same fear of, uh, or the same belief that they're not trustworthy sit behind those and they're just different behaviours? We've talked about that before, that two people can have um, the same fear, but they have different aggressive or passive yeah. types of behaviours. So you're saying that the overconfident person still fears that they're not trustworthy, but they try and overcome that. Not overcome it, they try to prove that they're not. Try to prove to other people. Because that that's not. how they get acceptance and trust right. from others. Yes, okay. Because it matters for them. They know that it matters to be trusted, right? And they, they try and convince themselves that they're trustworthy by getting other people to trust them. Uh, yes. And while the passive person or the self-distrusting person who's afraid of making decisions... Um, is characterized often by an enormous fear of having to take responsibility for the outcome of decisions, so always seeks to blame, right, out of fear of being held accountable and responsible, while the excessively confident and the person who wants to prove that they make all the right decisions will always find a reason um, to blame others if their decisions fail. They will also never be responsible, so it's the characteristics they both share. Mm. But just that the, um, the passive person takes it more from a defensive perspective, while the aggressive individual will literally be aggressively <clears throat> justifying their failure by aggressively attacking others and blaming them for letting him down. Mm. If it wasn't for you, it would have succeeded. If it wasn't for this situation created by some other person, it would have been okay. Mm. and never blame it on their bad judgment or their ego or anything else. I wonder, I'm interested to know which camp you sort of think this fits into because I, I've done a lot of work in engineering, I work with a lot of engineers, and the tendency with engineers, because uh, a lot of them don't trust their own decisions, but they have to make quite big decisions, right? They have to make decisions about um, about the designs of bridges or they have to make decisions about money that are you know, large decisions about money and finances for the companies they work for. And I see that the tendency for people that don't trust themselves and other people is to over-document things, to uh, cover their ass in a way, or they make sure that they have legal documents, they have reams of legal documents, plus they've got every phone record they've ever had, they've got mm. stacks of diaries with everything, notes of everything that's ever happened, and they record phone calls and to try and cover themselves because... They might get sued at some point or that someone might point out that they've done a wrong decision and they can say, no, this is exactly what happened. And, you know, are they more in the passive or the aggressive side of that? Well, since you're speaking in from a general perspective, I want to sort of begin with that, the general, with the general idea of um, the job itself, engineering. Mm. Yes. Right? Engineering, I think, from its external... Um, looking externally at, at engineering, I think it looks like something 
a bit like accounting. You know, if you know the mechanics of something, then you can put anything together and it will work. Okay, I think, and I think as a kid, that's how you approach engineering. Mm -hmm. You get a mechanic, mechano box, and you can put it together. And um, really, when you build an amazing machine out of little bits of metal with screws and God knows what, right? The um, the stresses and the forces and all that involved in that are of no concern because the material uses overrated in respect to the structure you're building. And, okay? the, and the risk of the outcome of failure is insignificant. Is insignificant. It's not just fall apart. <laughs> Once you study engineering, and now let me go back first. So there's a possibility that it will attract people who like to work in an area where there's a certain amount of security in respect to what they do. Certainty. Certainty, mm -hmm. exactly. And so just like accountants have certainty because mm -hmm. there's always a... There's rules. There's rules that have to be followed and there's always a specific outcome. All, it's, so it seems, right, that mm -hmm. there is no flexibility in accounting. And, 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 and I think to some extent it feels like that in engineering. So it can attract a lot of people who are looking for certainty, which means if you're looking for certainty, then there's a reason for it. Mm. And the reason could be that you don't have a lot of trust in the um, in your capacity to judge and um, how can I say that uh, create on a more inventive and creative level mm. right it's probably the difference between an inventor and the engineer that so like in engineering you often work with say architects or, or creative type inventors sort of people that come up with a concept they artistically draw it and then the engineer's job is to make sure it's not going to fall apart when it gets put together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's sort of like he's the certainty of the project. Yeah. Right. The, the, the artist, if there's an artist architect, so to speak, then he will create something that looks amazing. But how are we going to make it work? Mm -hmm. Right. How can we can make this thing stand up and not fall over? Like the opera house is some fantastic yeah, yeah, looking shape. And engineers uh, just scratch their head and go, well, we've never... Look no, and look what happened there. They spent another two years rebuilding the foundations mm. because they underrated the foundations at that time. Yeah. Right? So, so the, the, the fact that there is certainty is definitely an, an illusion, but it's, it's something that, that people who want certainty uh, would not be aware of at the time that they enter into engineering and all that. And I think engineer, engineers come out of university uh, still need like about two, three years of practical experience before they become effective engineers. Probably 10, but yeah. Oh, probably 10. You know better than I do. Um, and so in, the, in that way, um, they only learn in the practical sense that certainty isn't even there. No. And that there is a high risk that if mistakes are being made, if things are misjudged, if things are not th thought out properly, that disaster can occur. And um, so once they realize that, they do all the things that you're talking about. So then they, they've, they're not, uh, they may only make decisions if they have 250% proof <laughs> yeah. that it will not fail. Mm -hmm. So, the, and, and then that has to be balanced out against expense. So you can make a decision that is 250% rated, if you like, and, and will never fall down, but that will cost three times as much as... Um, 
as doing it the way it was proposed, mm. you know. And so now we look at risk factors and, and all this sort of thing, and that's where trust, uncertainty, and all those things come into play. Mm. And hence, they document everything because should they be sued, they've got to prove that they did everything according to specific rules and expectations. Mm. You know, how often hasn't it happened um, that materials have failed because it's the one thing the engineer didn't have control over. Well, that they would specify the material has to be 300-grade steel, but if it comes from an uncontrolled source yeah. and, and part of it is Like it flawed. comes from China, uh, where, where get, at times the, China, China the, the, the production was not... Like the ferrous steel, it doesn't have the same strength because it isn't, it isn't made into steel enough. It's too much like iron or something of that nature. Yeah? yeah, that's quite common. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so you can't rate that because it, it's not trustworthy. Um, there's been many instances where you can, like, an interesting, what sprung into mind was the Eiffel Tower, funny enough, that was built uh, in Europe at some trade fair that was held, one of the first trade fairs that was ever held, um, that they actually replaced nearly every section of the Eiffel Tower with lighter construction, uh. with lighter steel, to make the Eiffel Tower lighter because it would actually be better, lighter than heavier. But when they build it, they overrated everything for fear that something would happen to it mm. because it was so high. And in those days, it was massive. It was the highest thing that was built in the world mm. at that time. It's not now, but it was then. It was, you know, the level that engineering was at at that time. I mean, there's a certain level of practicality to what we're talking about. And, and when I see engineers doing their job in a daily basis, quite often the justification is, well, if I don't do 15 checks and balances and overrate things to 250%, then bad things can happen. And that's a fair point. There is a practicality to it, but it almost gets to the point with some people where it gets on that obsessive side of the equation that we were talking about earlier, where it becomes thing where you have to check your calcs 10 times and not twice. Um, and even then you're not even sure. So then you say, oh, I caveat this to say, well, I wasn't given all the information that I really needed. And if it goes wrong, don't blame me because there's problems that someone else has caused. It's, it's a very yeah. common um, outcome, right? And also people, don't, I think, don't trust their own instincts, intuition, and understanding of the world. So you talked about some of those things earlier, but we didn't really talk about what they were. But you and I discussed actually a few weeks ago, you were talking about an equation you had to do, I think, for a university course or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were talking about the fact that as as humans, as people, we look at things and we have some sort of understanding how they work, how the mechanics of the forces work. And if you look at an object, you most of the time will look at it and understand whether it's going to be strong enough to hold your weight or not. Yeah, but not, not, yeah, but not everybody has that kind of view. Like you do, I do, but a lot of people don't have any... Like a lot of women don't have that mechanical understanding. Mm. Do, do you understand? And, and it's probably because when you're boys, you play with things, you try things out. I notice that boys always push things and pull things. Look at wheels going around. We always want to test its strength. Can we break it or can it not be broken? By doing so, we, we, we get a sense of the capacity of material. Mm. Do, do, do you understand? We do it subconsciously. It's part of our... Uh, discovery, if you like, of who we are physically and emotionally in respect to the world mm. and therefore identify it's something that's also worth talking about one day. Um, 
uh, how we how we come to know ourselves on a physical level, right? Uh, but like girls don't engage in that sort of practices. They have other interests and other ways of engaging the world and finding out what the world is all about. But we, as 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 boys generally, and it's not for every boy, of course. Um, but generally, boys tend to test the world. They they want to know how far the world can be pushed. Yeah. And, and without falling over, so break to lots, speak. Break lots of toys to see. We climb on there. things. We test out the branches of a tree and mm. bounce on it to see if it will break. Mm. You know, we're not happy until we hear a crack. And then we say, ah, I found a limit somewhere, <laughs> right? When we hang off a rope, we want to see what's going to break or not. And I think this connects with what you said earlier about the fact that we gain a trust in the physical world through testing it, through trial and error, through making decisions and seeing if they pan out. They'll make a decision to go a little further on the tree limb, mm. see if that pans out. Oh, this, this decision panned out. I'll, I'll go a little further the next time. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, take that, that idea, and now think of a boy being raised by an overprotective mother because she's got a lot of fears. Mm. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't go with barefoot on the outside. Don't... Don't stand on that, you'll fall. Don't do the, you know. So you've got a mother who's overprotective. What if the tree branch breaks? Yeah, don't yeah. climb on the tree, you'll fall. Don't climb on that thing. Don't, don't lift that up, it's too heavy for you, right? And so a mother that's overprotective in that way, right, creates in the child distrust of the world and distrust in himself that he can cope with that world. So it's very general, but it's very, it's very frequently true yeah i think that's a quite a common thing especially in today's society i think that we talked about helicopter parents helicopter parents yeah yeah we basically wrap the kid up in cotton wool and make sure they don't touch or hit anything and bump into anything yeah or or that they get a cold or that they get sick or that they you know and so children become precious precious within themselves and they stay precious people Mm. it's an interesting point you brought up there about i think there's something to be said too for children not trusting their own body as a physical survival um, mechanism, not being able to trust that they can cope with colds and things that they need to need to get outside help to, to just cope with minor yeah. you know, abrasions and cuts. You know, I, I've got an abrasion. I've got to go to the doctor and get him to sort that out. You know, there's also a mistrust that can sometimes be to creep in a yeah, mistrust I mean, your own body, mistrust your own immune yeah. system. It's, I mean, I, so many times that I've had scratches, abrasions. I remember falling over as a kid. I think I was seven years old. And I had a piece of glass in my leg, right? And I pulled it out, went home, my mother put a band-aid over it. I was back in the street three minutes later. Mm. Mm. You know, we didn't go to a doctor. We didn't go to... It was bleeding profusely for a moment and then stopped. Or say, oh, no, that's going to get infected. Yeah, you know? or with the panic around it all, you know? <laughs> the, the way it was looked at over there, if it bleeds, all the, whatever's in there has come out. There's nothing left, so let's see, you know? So just... Ba- you know, I still got a scar. I mean... It's it's just so um, undermining of a child's self trust, self belief, and its confidence in itself to over parent it, to over protect it, to be the helicopter parent, to 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 save it from any possible harm, and believing that you're being a good parent because you're not. And that may sound like a bit shocking for people who have children when they hear this, but you're not being a good parent. Because you're not allowing your child to experience the world. And yes, there is risk in the world. <laughs> but if your child has no confidence as an adult, has no self-trust, what will the risk be then? Mm. You know, on every level of its existence. Well, I think that it, it teaches you 
well, sorry, you, you avoid or you end up not being able to trust and judge risk, not being able to say what is the level of risk in this situation. Everything is risky then. Everything is risky to an extent. No, no, I mean, if you, if you have distrust, everything is a oh, risk. Yes. There is no level of risk. That's right. There's no judgment of level no, of there's risk. No, there's no capacity for judging that at all. So everything is a risk. Yeah. Everything is a problem. Everything could be a dilemma. Everything could lead to, to, to disaster. Everything will get a, every decision will get a bad outcome. And so you have to distrust it like, like stranger danger stuff, right? I mean, the, the truth of it is that most abuse of children, right, happens from family members, not from strangers. But because we make such a... And it's very interesting, actually, because if you really deeply think about it, we're going a little bit off track here, but because of legal ramifications, these kind of cases where there's internal abuse in the families never get into the press. We don't name and shame them. Yeah, it's right? dealt with in the family court as a because close. Because they go into family courts, they're close courts, nobody, you know, uh, rarely do they come into press to the extent they should because if you look at the number of abuses that take place, in Australia alone, right, the papers could be filled, if you like, with every abuse case, right, that exists. A lot of them don't get reported. Most of them happen through, happen through family members. Um, then, then stranger danger is one of the least problems that you need to deal with. It's a far less likely um, abuse scenario than... So, so uh, what, what is important and the... And, what happens is actually the opposite. What is important that a child can speak for itself, has confidence to speak up against somebody, is prepared to question, has good self-judgment, and whenever it feels that something is wrong, that it does something about it by removing itself from that situation. Now, the truth of it is that, pe- that parents that are overprotective and because of the fears that they have, don't allow their children to make to 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 learn to be self-confident in those situations because they see it as a risk. And so they don't realize that that they protect their children up to a certain age, and then they say, Well, now you're old enough to be on your own. And the child must think internally, what do you mean on my own? <laughs> I've never been on my own. I never thought for myself. I never made my own decisions. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. And I don't know how to get it. And I need you to be there with me for the rest of my life. Because I don't know how to do it otherwise. Or, or an equivalent um, surrogate version, which might be the partner. Which will be eventually a partner. Mm. Yeah. And if it's a woman, it will be an aggressive male partner. And if it's a male partner, he will look for a woman who's outwardly confident and yeah, self-confident and, and, and capable. Makes all the and, decisions in the family, yeah. tells him what he should be so, doing. So then he's not, he, he still has no control over his life. Mm. So, so there's, there's, nothing over, there's, there's nothing good to be said over over-parenting, being over-protective and over-caring. There is life. From the moment you're born, you're destined to die. Things are destined to happen to you. It is the nature of life. How you live your life will always depend on how you are with it with yourself. If you live life with fear, then your fears will be manifested. It is inevitable, I can promise you. You cannot escape this no matter how much money you have 
or, or, or what position you have in life, your fears will manifest through your relationships, through your actions, your choices, your behavior, right? So if you, if you can accept that as a truth, right, then the only way that you can have a good life or make sure that your children have a great life is to teach them to be self-confident and self-trusting. And that can only come from you being self-confident and self-trusting. So, so there's, no, there's no out on this. You know, the, as a parent, you cannot say, I'm fearful, but I'm teaching my child to be confident. Your child will emulate you. Like, uh, I have um, come across parents who know that they're fearful and try to convince their children to do things that they would not be prepared to do. But that creates an internal conflict in the child. Because on the one hand, there must be danger because mum or dad are not doing it, but they're telling me to do it. <laughs> so now the child is, 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 comes to a place where it has to take risks that the parents wouldn't take. And sometimes, this, this uh, as in a recent, a recent client, um, comes to a place where the, the, the parents lean on the child to take risks that they wouldn't take. So the child is expected to take responsibility without experience, without learning, without background, without having developed self-trust and self-belief, to take risks in other words, to confront authority, to make decisions about things that the parents won't. So the parents want to live vicariously through their child. They know they can't take risks, but they say, well... They don't want to, yeah. Oh, I, don't want to, I, want, I don't want to take risks because that's too risky. It's not safe. But I want my child to do it so I can experience it secondhand through my well, child. It, yeah, it kind of happens like that. Like that Often there are risks that they won't take uh, that have to do with their own survival. So they make the child do things for them that, sh that they should be doing. Mm. Mm. Like contacting the gas company because the bill is overcharged or um, anything like that that has to do with the household. Mm. You know, I've, I've, I've known of a situation where the man was so fearful that he couldn't even go out of the house to go shopping and he would take his daughter and sit in the car and tell her to do the shopping and take all the responsibility. Mm because you couldn't face people. That's how extreme it can be. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, because also I see that there are people um, who fear anything that's new, different, anything that's changed from their routine. Yeah. And I think that trust has something to do with that, is that they don't trust themselves to be in a new situation. They won't know how to interact with people. They won't know how to well, they, they, be they, in those situations. They've learned, like often there are parents who are fearful of change. Mm. And so... That means they don't have any trust that they can cope with unexpected, unpredictable changes that they anticipate because there's a, often a pessimism attached to that, that they always anticipate the worst and feel that they have to be prepared for the worst and disaster. And so they avoid change. So then the child becomes fearful of change and believes it cannot cope with the results and outcomes or the unexpected nature of change. So... Sometimes, or actually quite frequently, uh, people fool themselves that they're not afraid of change. But when you then check whether the only change they will bring in their life is change they have complete control over, <laughs> then that's the only change they will have. But they're fearful of changes that they didn't instigate. Now, we live in a world, of course, where 
lots of things happen though that are manifestations of the collective consciousness that we don't expect that we don't anticipate and they will impact our lives in one form or another but these things can happen at work or they can happen outside of yourself or you know people are under the illusion that a relationship is perfect and one day their partner just looks at them and says i want to leave you you know and and they don't realize they've spent a whole relationship period from the beginning to this point avoiding dealing with things avoiding confronting situations because they fear they cannot cope because they don't trust that they can mm. and there's of course a whole bunch and a variety of issues behind that which are particular to certain types of self-trust and certain capacities and powers that a person should have faith in within themselves mm. but nevertheless it comes down to trust in a general sense mm. it's an interesting point one that i was going to talk about. there's probably a couple of things left to talk about um actually but is to talk about trusting your own intuition and instincts we've we've actually done some work in on the show about um, passions and desires and instincts that come from within and that drive you in particular directions but I think if you're in, if you're someone that didn't feel you were trustworthy, you believed you're untrustworthy and that you couldn't be trusted, that your decisions and choices couldn't be trusted, it would be very, very difficult, I'd say impossible, to then trust your instincts, to trust your intuition, uh, um, because obviously that's coming from internally and you couldn't possibly trust that if you don't trust yourself. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as you're talking that you're right in the sense that you don't trust yourself so you're unlikely to trust your instincts. But there's actually one thing you do trust, and that's fear. <laughs> you actually trust your fear. You actually depend... Keeps, keeps you safe. You depend on your fear to keep you safe. Mm. So any fear-based feeling will be responded to by you, even if it is, um, and even if it is, at all times, emotional fears are all driven by distorted beliefs. So you have a, a belief which a belief that has no reality, but is based in fear. Uh, because it is based in fear, it has no reality. That's probably the way I should have said it. Um, and therefore, you trust the feeling that comes from that, and you will react and respond according to that feeling. Thinking that it's an instinct, or think you might even believe that it's an instinct. Mm. I have a gut feeling. You know those yeah. gut feelings. Yeah. Well, those gut feelings are usually wrong for <laughs> a lot of people. If they're fear driven. If they're fear-driven, mm. yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's difficult for someone, for someone that's a listener then to distinguish between uh, their intuitions and instincts and, and, their, and their gut instincts that are driven from their passions and desires and ones that are driven from fear. Well, well you can't, you can't just, once you live in fear, you can't distinguish anymore what you should really fear and what is, what is an illusionary fear. Mm. Once you are in fear, you can't tell the difference. So gut feelings are no longer trustworthy in a sense if you're constantly living in fear because you distrust everything and because your emotions go through your stomach and your gut, right? Hence people have IBS and stuff like that when they have a lot of fears and insecurities. Um, then, uh, you know, you definitely cannot trust your gut feelings to tell you the truth. Mm. And, so, and so it makes the world an even more fearful place <laughs> and you have to trust in your fears even more than what you than what you might think you should because in your mind it's the only way you will be safe but the result of it is that you will disconnect that you will um, not be able to commit that you will isolate yourself emotionally in some respects 
that you will attract around yourself people who um, share your fears and insecurities because that will de- those will be the only people that you feel comfortable with because if you were with a totally confident person you feel totally out of sorts because they would just make decisions and choices and live their life in total confidence and you would feel um, inadequate powerless or very challenged if you were someone that was affected yeah. by that decision you, you'd look exactly at, if say if you're in business with someone and they said oh uh you keep making decisions you know i can't oh, that affect me and we're not going through this kind of rigorous process first before we make these decisions because it's it can be very confronting for someone that's not trusting to to be comparing themselves or working next to someone who does make decisions and choices and back themselves to yeah the sort of person you're talking about is somebody who's distrusting but also very controlling. Mm-hmm. So they want to force the other person who's not distrusting of himself and the, and the decision-making, they want to force them into a process that satisfies them. But to the other person, to the partner, let's say, makes no sense because it's obvious to him this is what we've got to do. But he wants to go through this whole process of of uh, verifying it and, and, and proving it and all this sort of stuff while... Um, he so person the person that's distrusting is trying to get a level of security which can probably not be acquired never, because never nothing security because is nothing is totally secure. Every decision has risk, always. Hmm. It is not the risk to the decision that is a problem; it's whether the outcome and the level of risk involved can be dealt with should it occur, and do you have the confidence to deal with it. What most people do who are fearful of making decisions is identifying with the outcome, which is another something to do indirectly with distrust, whereby if you, if the outcome becomes a failure, if you like, then you are the failure because you made that decision. If so, so then you identify yourself with that outcome and then you say, I'm never going to do that again. So you then avoid situations where you have to make that kind of decision again because you don't want to prove to everybody that you're such a failure. (laughs) You can't accept that you just made a bad decision and that you want to learn from it. You don't learn from your decisions because you identify with the outcome. So instead of learning from a decision that led you down a path that got you a negative outcome and basically choosing a different direction, you avoid all decisions in that area of your life. Yeah. Because you figure they're going to end up in an... You well, can't you trust assume yourself. it does, yeah. can't trust yourself to make yeah. decisions in the area because they're going to end up in a negative like space. And, of course, then you'd find proof of that. If you did make decisions, then you'd always end of up... Course. Of course, of course. ...finding proof of the fact that it sends you in a negative, down a negative path. See, what, what it comes down to, and I spoke earlier on, I broke, I broke these elements down, yeah, Um is that your thinking, reasoning, and conclusions, ideas, and beliefs, all the things that you need to trust in, your judgment, etc. So when a decision fails, you need to go backtrack in your mind. What did I base my decision on? What were the facts and figures that I believed in? How did I come to that conclusion? Uh, or what was it about my new idea that I assumed was working and going to work in a certain way and didn't? And what was my judgment, thoughts, and I and concept in that? So in that way, you would be learning something, right? Because you think, ah, I realize now, you know, um, that I should have thought about it in this respect or that respect, or I didn't see these elements were possible, 
Now I know that they're possible, I can change my decision-making and I can come to a new outcome, yeah? Uh, it's a bit like cooking a cake, you know? And you do it all by touch and feel, right? When the cake comes out a certain way, you backtrack and you think, ah, you know what, I put in too much butter. Or it's a bit sweet or... Or it's a bit sweet, it's too much sugar, it's too much salt, or not enough salt and not enough sugar. You know, it's, it's just like a recipe, you know, next time you cook the cake, you won't you you put half the amount of sugar in or double to 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 get the right flavour. So it's a bit like thinking. Like you look at all the elements involved in your thinking process that gets you to a point where you can make a decision, and then you reappraise, if you like, each aspect to find where the problem is. Mm. So. So I think and we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, but I think what you're saying there is is very good practical advice for people is they almost need to look at life like they're a child again and and test things out, question their decisions, look back over their work, and then they learn to trust new areas of their life as a result because they then, so once they've done the cake three or four times, they can then trust they can make that cake. Yeah, but not only that, you learn to make all cakes better. Yeah, yes. Not just that cake. Yeah, that's right. And, that, and that's how you learn to make all decisions better because your, your general process of decision-making takes more aspects into account, more elements. And so your decision is going to be more secure. Mm-hmm. Right? So... So it's it's uh, and you learn to trust your decisions because you're getting outcomes that consequence, use. you know, outcomes create consequence create feedback, which then becomes um, translated into self confidence, self trust, mm. right? So I think that's where we should leave it at. I, this I think stage. so. That's that's. I mean, that's great to talk about trust for an episode like that, and then to give people some sort of practical way that they can start implementing some self trust in their life. Obviously. Um, people are going to have serious trust issues. They probably need mm. to work on their fears. But one thing they can do is they can start to look over their decisions and choices, go back over them, yeah. and then do them differently and start expanding their trust of themselves. But first of all, you know, to ask yourself if you have trust issues, um, why you why you don't trust yourself, and what you don't trust about yourself, and start there, because it is not about making yourself trust is by getting rid of the distrust that you trust yourself. Mm. So it's about get, getting rid of disbelief, disdoubt of, of um, fears and insecurities whereby you then develop trust. Mm. It's not about um, m- making yourself more trusting to others or trustworthy to others. Or it's not about just deciding I'm going to trust myself more. Right, because that's not a solution. Mm. The solution lies in getting rid of the uh, beliefs that you hold, which cause you to distrust yourself. And you need to, you need to inquire within yourself: How did I come to believe that? How did I come to believe that I can't trust this? Cannot trust myself in all these different areas of me, of myself. Yeah. Mm. That's the advice I'd like to give. All right. Well, thank you again very much, Rudy, for your time and your advice. And uh, we'll, we'll see everybody on the show uh, next time. See you all next time. Thank you. Thank you.